Are you ready to find out how to blaze your own trail? Welcome to the Blaze Your Own Trail podcast with your host, Jordan Mendoza. In this podcast, Jordan interviews people from around the world to find out about their journey to success. If you are looking for valuable content with actionable advice, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Jordan Mendoza. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blaze Your Own Trail podcast. My name is Jordan Mendoza, and I'm your host, and I've got a very special guest today. Her name is Melissa Smith, and I'm going to give her just a minute to uh, tell everyone who she is, what she does uh, today. Hi, Jordan. Thank you. So, yes, my name is Melissa Smith. I am the founder and CEO of the Association of Virtual Assistants and also uh, the PVA, which is a boutique uh, matchmaking for my match clients to the right virtual assistant. And then through my travels, I've also sought out for remote work consulting. So I specialize in consulting in the remote hiring process, uh, whether that be those who are trying to get their first remote job and teach them how to interview and how to present themselves or companies that are now trying to figure out how to hire uh, online and hire remote employees. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, that's that's a ton of ventures and we're, we'll definitely get into the ins and outs of that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on my show, my favorite part is taking the rewind, right? Learning about Melissa and, and where, where you grew up and where you spent kind of the adolescent years through, we'll just say through high school. Okay. So I was born uh, and raised in Northern California. I was born in Santa Cruz, based in the South Bay, eventually moved out uh, to uh, the, the Valley. And that was, it, it was an exciting experience, but I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, Californians are, are kind of like New Yorkers in a sense. We, we live in our own world. We live in these really large states and these states that are have massive, uh, incomes and economic development and just a wide variety. So I didn't understand how different it was growing up in California until I left and I would talk to other people. And one of my favorite stories is so I was going to school in Santa Cruz and you could see the beach uh, or not the beach, but the ocean from where our school was and my kindergarten teacher her son was a student at UC Santa Cruz and he was in marine biology so it wasn't just commonplace for us she would take our class down to the beach and we would watch her son surf for a little bit and then he would come up and he would tell us all about mussels and starfish and algae and the marine ecosystem and I just thought doesn't everybody do this (laughs) and then I learned that There are people who have actually never been to a beach or never seen the Pacific Ocean. They have no idea how freezing cold it is. And uh, so that was was one of the eye-opening. And then uh, from there, as I I grew up, I was a middle middle child, or I am a middle child. And I was a typical middle child. I was always trying to figure out where my place was and I wasn't as exciting (laughs) as my older sister and um, I wasn't like my younger brother and as we grew up I just felt like an outsider in our family even because everyone excelled at math and science so when I was growing up it never occurred to me that women were labeled not good at math or science because both my mother and my sister excelled and uh, 
um, it's nothing that we learned in our home. Yeah, I was the one in the family who was just awful at it. So what I did excel in didn't really get me far in school. So writing and um, being a creative writer or wanting to do those things, not, not so popular. And I actually grew up thinking I was not smart at all. And it led to being a horrible, horrible student, like a horrible student, because my idea was, look, if I can't, if I can't win, if I can't be the best, because I'm super competitive, I'm not even going to try. So I was like, it was not, I don't know if it was like official official, but I was voted least likely to graduate from high school. Um, no one thought I would graduate. I didn't have enough credits. And I got pregnant when I was 16 and I was a junior in high school. And I thought, oh my gosh, like I can't, I, I, I can't do this if I don't even have a high school diploma. And I didn't want a GED. I wanted my actual high school diploma in order to do that. I had to do a lot of things. So I actually graduated a year early. I graduated my junior year. I have three high school diplomas. One is from my actual high school. One is a GED because I needed that for some of the other credits. And the third one is actually the California State High School exam. So um, that's a little interesting fun fact about me that most people don't know. Wow. Wow. So that's, that was a lot. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's, it's, it's cool to kind of uh, see the perspective in the journey. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in Portland. So very familiar with the cold Pacific. It doesn't matter if it's February or June, it's cold, you know, but when you grow up there, it's like, you don't, you don't wear hoodies on the beach. You know, like the first time I went to the East coast and I was on the beach and I was like, no one's wearing a hoodie like this is weird but and then when i first stepped foot into the atlantic and the water was warm i thought it was i thought something was wrong you yeah. know because i grew up in the pacific so i definitely can relate to you in that aspect um yeah learning about marine biology and that i, I learned about that type of stuff too so i, I can definitely connect there um and santa cruz is such a beautiful town it's such a beautiful area i remember that first time i saw the lost boys the movie oh, yes. that, was, that was filmed in, yes. in Santa Cruz. And I just told myself, I was like, I need to visit that place one day. And so the first time I got to go there and walk along the boardwalk and see some of the areas that were in that, that movie, it was, it was such a cool thing. So uh, what, a, what a great place to, to grow up, it sounds like. So middle child syndrome. So I'm a father of five. So I've, I've got five, believe it or not. Um, my wow. oldest is 15 and my youngest is three months. So. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So three boys, two girls. Um, I, in hearing your story about being the middle child, it, it definitely makes sense because I think about the one that was the middle child for a while. And I think about, you know, the way some of her tendencies and wanting to prove herself and things like that. So, so I can, I can really get that as well. And, and so you, so you saw yourself as not having uh, the same abilities as people. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you just said, you know what, because I'm not going to be the best, I'm just not going to try. <laughs> um, you know, I was actually similar to that in high school because I'm one of those, uh, I am very creative and I daydream a lot and I'm just trying, I'm always thinking about what's going to happen. Like, what am I going to do next mm -hmm. when I'm in the present moment? Like this is how I was in school. Right. And so I didn't apply myself. Like I, I literally, if it was a class I didn't like, I was just like, 
I wouldn't do my homework and I wouldn't apply myself. Now, if it was PE or drama or, you know, something that I enjoyed, guess what? I got really good grades. So I was, I was a little bit different in that sense. Like I just, I don't know what it was. I think it was because I, um, I didn't enjoy it. And I just like, oh, if I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. You know? I think a lot of it is I really misunderstood my parents as well. So my parents, they taught us like, we're, we're not going to be average. And they all, you know, they told us like, we're not average and that we're going to be really hard workers and whatever we do, we're going to do the best to our ability. They never said I had to be the best. <laughs> they never said, these are all the things that you have to do in order to count or matter or be good or um, just even make show people that you care. Uh, so I just took it to the extreme, uh, like I've been known to do, and I took it, well, if I can't be the best, then I'm, I'm not gonna try. And that's not at all what they meant, but that's just how I took it. Okay. And we, everyone was just a hard worker. That's what yeah. we did. And uh, we always were working hard and, and my dad, that was just one thing that he instilled in us was a strong work ethic. My mom was the same way. They both came from uh, very uh, poor families. And so they were, they were trying to instill this quality in, in me to be that. And I just took it too far. <laughs> you just like tried to 10 X. Oh right? yeah. You're just like, let me level oh, it up. Yeah, you know, I'm and like, it's so interesting, I'm right? Because you said that you were voted as a leak least likely person to graduate yeah. and here you go tripling up on high school diplomas and state certifications right you you yeah. took it up a couple levels and this is all well like having a child at 16 right which is yeah. not an uh, for having a child at any age is not easy i know because my wife has gone through five labors yeah. and i see how painful it is so the fact that you had a child at 16 and you had the, the the world right projecting on you that you weren't you weren't smart or maybe you were telling the story to yourself a little bit as well um and then trying to push hard to make sure you could prove everybody wrong and then you like tripled them up you tripled them up on the thing that they said you couldn't do yeah you know? i I, I've been, this is something I'm actually working on now because I learned this in the last few years is I actually excel on like haters and negative energy. Like the moment someone tells me I can't do it, this like rebellious person inside me was I am like, the same exact whatever. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's like off the direction. But, you know, the loving family that I had who was like so unconditional and so supportive and always telling me positive things. I didn't use that encouragement <laughs> to, to ask for help or to try harder or do anything. So I'm now at a point where I'm like, okay, how can I take the positive energy and the positive things I already know about myself and not always feed off of other people's you know, negative energy? Because it's not like I ever go back to anyone and say, I did it, I showed you, I did it. Um, it's all for me. I wouldn't yeah. do it for someone else, but yet, um, yeah. It, well, I don't know though, because I, I do use, I still use it. And I think mm -hmm. it's a good thing to use, use it as rocket fuel to propel you to where you need to go. Right. It's like, right, because it's either positive or negative. So I'm negatively motivated. Someone says, hey, you can't do this. I'm like, all right, well, challenge accepted. Let's do that. You know, like, I want to go for that. <laughs> you know, if, and when some people give me kudos, I don't enjoy it as much. You know, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't enjoy that side. I would, I would rather somebody doubt me because, you know, I've got, got that chip on my shoulder, you know, I, and I think that came from growing up really, really poor and not having a whole lot. So like, I'm always felt like I've had to, 
you know, prove everybody wrong that I can succeed as well. So no, I relate to that. And listen, my advice would be don't, if, if that's what's been helping you thrive and succeed, like don't turn that off. Let it keep <laughs> fueling you, right? Because it's, it's done some very positive things. I mean, it, it has. You're involved it's... in three different businesses and, you know, and, and all the things, I mean, even the things you're able to do at such a young age, have a child and, and get three uh, high school diploma slash certifications, like that takes tenacity, that takes grit. And if that negativity helped it, let it keep helping you, right? Yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. Uh, so what happened What happened next? So you're 16, okay. you get three certifications slash diplomas, and now you got a baby, right? You've got a, a, another human that, yes. that you're going to be responsible for, for bringing up into this world. So what was your next step? What, what, what did you plan to do or what did you do with this new situation? So uh, my plan was always to be a, a secretary because my mom was a secretary. So that's what we used to be called. So I went to secretary school. And it was there that I found out that, um, I don't know that I, I identified as smart yet, as smart yet, but I definitely excelled in the work. So I graduated top of my class. I finally felt like this is my place. This is what I was meant to do. This is what I was born to do. And I just attributed that to it being uh, practical rather than theory work. Uh, we actually were typing, we were doing memos, we were scheduling, we were doing all these things that I would actually do in my work. So therefore I counted them as a worthy use of my time <laughs> uh, versus things that I thought, oh, I'm never gonna use that or I'm not interested in it. Uh, so I went to secretary school, I, I graduated at the top of my class and I started working in medical office administration. And uh, I quickly did not like that. Um, because it was really, it was really negative. And at that time to make the best salary, you had to be in billing and billing is like, I mean, you think health insurance, you know, is bad now. Like it was, it was awful back then too. <laughs> um, and it was really negative to have to go to people and, and ask for bills for medical things. And like, I just can't do this every day. This is just awful. I don't want to do this. So, uh, fortunately the skills that I learned were transferable to any, any business, any company. And so I just kept on transferring those skills. And what I still tell people this day that the true mark of an assistant, whether human or AI is the ability to anticipate needs. And so I honed in on that very quickly because I did not have a degree. I had an associate's a degree in, in applied science, but I didn't have a bachelor's that most companies were looking for. So long before millennials were changing jobs every two years, I was changing jobs every two years because either I had tapped out on pay and I wasn't eligible for a raise because I didn't hold at least the bachelor's or it no longer fit my schedule as a mom. And so I would change jobs about every two years and in, in that doing so I would give myself a raise and it, in the very beginning it was a lot of different industries so I had to say how I fit in I had to tell my career story in a way that made sense of how I could come from a different industry and then uh, be add value to there yeah and then ironically I found my real niche in education so uh, my kids at that time were in, in private school and I was uh, on the parent-teacher board and I was, you know, a big time volunteer and I was doing a lot of things and 
the principal came to me and she said, you know, would you ever consider working here? And at that time I was commuting, I was in California, so you know, I was commuting, it was awful. And I said, I absolutely would. And she said, well, how much are you making now? And I told her and she said, never mind. We won't be able to pay you, <laughs> pay you that at all. And I said, well, can you give me benefits? Because if you can give me benefits, then what does that look like? Then, you know, we'd have a whole new situation here because now I'd be working at my children's school. I'd not be working a commute anymore. Uh, you know, my life would change. And so we worked it out and so I worked at their school. And then from there we moved uh, to Georgia eventually. And I started working at UGA and I was working in personal professional development on remote courses that now have played a big part in, in what I do in my life. And then I worked at the law school, I worked in the Dean's office and academic affairs, went to that school in academic affairs. And then in 2012, my husband passed away. And a year later, we moved back to California. And Sorry I to hear got, that. Thank you. Uh, and I got a job at a private independent school uh, in the Bay Area, working again for the associate um, head of school. And it, I took my, I don't know if it was like a fear of school or learning or, or what that was, but I took my disdain for it, certainly. <laughs> And that really made my career, and I just became an insatiable learner uh, of many different things. But I always say it's so funny because here you have this person who was the worst student, um, and now I'm working in dean's offices and department heads' offices on academic programs and creating academic programs. Yeah, you know, it's it is it's so funny and. Uh, it's funny to, to see just the whole 360 there, right? Everything to kind of come full circle from worst to best situation. Uh, and so I I didn't enjoy school. I, I knew after high school, I wasn't going to go to college. I didn't want to. I knew I wanted to work. I knew I could do sales and I knew it was going to be a harder road, but that I could be successful. And now for the last eight years, I've been a training and development manager, designing content, facilitating content, public speaking, educating corporate associates. So it's so funny, right? Like yeah. both of us did, didn't enjoy it and didn't really apply, but then we end up having that be a, a big part of your career. You know, it's just, it's funny how the world works sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just, you look back and it's easy to connect the dots when you're looking back, but you know, if someone had told you this in the beginning, you'd have been like, I don't think so. I think yeah, oh, you might yeah. have the wrong no. person. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, if somebody would have told me that I'd be doing what I'm doing for the last eight years, like 20 years, I'd have been like, there's no way, there's no way I would be involved in that. Um, so that, so that is really awesome. So where did that put you? I, I know you had mentioned, did you say you also went to UGA? You decided to, to study there? Did, no. Oh, you no. did. Okay. So, so no, you were I just, just worked, you just worked, worked there, there, right? Mm -hmm. Worked, worked in all the different departments. Okay. Yeah. So that's awesome. So, uh, when, what was the next uh, transition, right? So, so you end up working there, you're, you're doing your thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're involved with the Dean's office and, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what an amazing uh, place to work. Right. Uh, so what did you do next? Did you decide to go out on your own? Had you already started building this infrastructure while you were there? Like where, what, how did this whole, uh, the business side happen? Yeah. So I, I left UGA in 2013 and I moved back to California and I was working on private independent school and I was there for a year and I absolutely loved 
that job. I loved the people. It was the perfect job for the the space I was in at that time as well. I was a second. It was in my second year of of being um, a, a widow, and it was kind of. It was almost like storybook, right? It's like the woman goes back to her hometown. She has a job that she loves, you know. But it's really about like recentering uh, myself, and I had to get recentered. And that job was very instrumental in me being able to do that. Um, however, my daughter at the time was a junior in high school, and she was moving into her senior year. And she said, "You know, I just this is not my home. I, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I want to go back to Georgia. That's my home. That's where I want to graduate from high school." And I knew that I needed to give her that. So I went to my boss and I said, I'm sorry, I, I, I gotta go. And he said, we don't wanna lose you. How can we keep you? And I told him, I said, I can do most of what I do virtually. I don't have to be here in the office. And he said, okay, let's do that. So um, I started working remotely. I was their first um, and only until recently <laughs> a remote employee. And um, it just opened my eyes to a, a whole new world, a whole new world. And a few months later, contracts came out for the next year because we had to sign a contract each year. And I thought, you know, if I could do this for them, like, could I do it for myself? And I mean, when I say that I walked into it naive and blindly and without a clue in the world, I mean it. That is zero exaggeration. And so I sent the contract back unsigned. I finished out my year and they were so supportive. They said, we, we, we want to support you, whatever's best for you. You always have a place here if you ever want to come back. Um, but let, let's make this work for you. And so I started my business. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't know how I was gonna make money because somehow I thought that work was gonna produce the same kind of income for me. I had an employee mentality when I needed to have an, a business owner and an entrepreneurial mentality. I had no idea how to get clients or who my clients were. Um, I had no idea my real value. I was getting frustrated over and over again by people telling me to sell the sizzle, not the steak. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Um, I mean, everything was just like, oh my gosh. So that first year was, a joke I can only laugh about now and but lots of learning oh my gosh it was I, I think that was my frustration because I didn't feel like I was learning I just felt like I was just tanking every single day and I'd always said I would never own my own business because we had family in the restaurant business and I used to spend my summers waiting on tables and my husband was self-employed and I knew like you're just you just like it ties you down you can't go places you can't do anything you're just like always there um there's just there's no freedom and flexibility in those things um uh, for a lot of people that own them there's some people who get it right a lot of people get it wrong um i was around people who <laughs> who were not conducted the way i wanted it so it was very frustrating to me and so then um i found a business coach because I, I was committed. I was like, I can't go back. It's not an option for me. I, this, is, this is what I need to be with my family. I need to be with my friends. I have family on both coasts. My son was off in the Midwest in college. My brother's in Southern California. Like, it's just not an option for me not to be able to work remotely anymore. I needed that. And I was bound and determined to make it work. And I thought, you know, I couldn't afford a business coach because I wasn't making enough money to hire one. But I thought if I'm going to fail 
if I'm going to fail, which was like the ultimate F word for me, if I'm going to fail, like at least I'm going to fail knowing that I did everything in my power to have succeeded. But clearly I don't know enough to make this successful. I need the help of somebody else because I've already given myself a shot and this is what's happening. I'm not pleased with the results. And that one decision was hands down the best decision I ever made because without her, I would not have a business today. I love that. Yeah, I love that. And then, I mean, that right there just explains the importance of having a coach, right? You know, I have, Absolutely. I have, I have two coaches, you know, one coach is for business and one is not really a coach, it's more of a mentor, it's just someone that can get me out of a funk that can hold me accountable that can you know tell me to go left when i'm trying to go right you know those types of things and man like it makes such a big difference and i think anytime you're gonna go to bat for yourself you've got to be willing to invest especially when it's when it's not easy when it's hard when you're stretching yourself right because if you can do that then when those hard moments come later you're already have, going to have walked out in faith and said all right i'm, I'm all in regardless you know absolutely and, and you know when we think about coaches oftentimes we think like oh well you have so much talent you have so much grit you have so much this and it's about none of those things but if the best athletes in the world and the most intelligent intelligent people in business have coaches and advisors and mentors then who am i not to be with 100%. someone because it's not about me not being good enough it's about someone always making sure that i'm getting to the next level I mean, I mean, I, I don't even follow basketball, but you'd have to be, I don't know who to not know who Michael Jordan is. And he's never without a coach, never without a trainer. He's one of the most dedicated athletes ever, yet he even, he didn't have a, he just had, he had a coach and he had a personal trainer. Like who needed to tell him to go train? Nobody, but yet he has one. Yep. Um, so, you know, if the most successful people in the world have them, like certainly I need one. Yeah. I think the, you know, the unlock often happens when we get out of our own way, you know, <laughs> yeah. because we, we're usually the person that is, is holding us back. And, and again, it's, you know, those decisions aren't easy because, you know, in a sense, you're kind of, uh, you're saying that you need help, right? Which I think is humans. It's not the easiest thing to do is to reach out and ask for somebody. But I think if you look at it from the context that uh, I need to, if I want to grow, I need to invest in me. I need to invest in my development, you know, because they're oftentimes what I found is it's, it's like this one little tiny tweak. And if we just knew that, which we don't know, right. That's why we're, we're paying for the coach is to get that's that right. knowledge. Um, but one little tweak makes a big, big difference, right. In yeah. our messaging, in your strategy, like all of it, you know? Yeah. It's not the big things, the big things. I mean, that would be much easier. Um, it's much that that would be so much harder for a coach to come in and have to teach you to do something from scratch. Um, they're really coming in and just really tweaking the things that you do, that you say, that you're putting out your thought process. They're challenging your thinking. They're challenging your perception. And those one, two, three percent increments of change have massive, massive impact. Yes. And the ripple effect is, is so uh, is, is so amazing that I, I just can't speak enough about coaches. I have the most respect for them because it really takes 
um, a special person, like there are people who will come to me and they'll say, I need a coach and I'll, and I'll be honest with them. I said, I, I have the most respect for coaches. I do not consider myself a coach. I consider myself a consultant and you need to know that if you want to work with me um, because they have, coaches have a real ability to just ask the right questions and really know what's underlying, but they do it to a place where you are saying it and you are believing it. And that's the important part because like as a consultant, I tell people what to do. If they don't want to listen to me. Great. Yep. Whatever. Um, a, a coach is there and they know their job is not to tell you what to do, although they could. They're there to make sure that you've invested in that mindset, in that thought, in that reality, because only your change of mind is going to make the difference. 100%. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about the coach's impact, right? So here you are. You've got a year of trial and error and falling and getting back up again and getting to the point where you're like, I need a coach, right? So yeah. I would love for you to share with the audience. So what was, what was that next year like? You know, what, what, what was the impact on you and the business and, and even like, did they help you systemize things so that maybe you save some more time? Like, you know, what was the value in that for you? And then, and then has that just continued to uh, happen year over year? It, the, the value is, is something that I, I continue to get to this day. And so I was really organized. I had excellent follow through skills. I had a lot of things, but there was two main things that I was doing wrong. And one was not understanding why clients pay me. I thought I knew I, I was wrong. The other thing was pricing myself out of business. And I remember, cause I came from an executive assistant background. So you're kind of like all the things. And so she was like, no, 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 no. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta do less here. And I was like, are you crazy? Like, you must be crazy because I can't ask for more money and do less. I, I would get fired. And she's like, who's going to fire you? Like, are, ugh, are you going to fire yourself? Like, what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, aren't you the you boss here, Melissa? Yeah. She's like, you just don't understand, you know? And I'm like, I'm, you're right. I don't understand what you're saying. Like, if you tell me to keep crossing all these things off the list, like, like who, who am I selling to? Like, who's going to pay me? And, and why are you doing this to me? And I mean, bless her heart. She had a workout cut out with me. And she said, you know what? I, I want you to take off everyone the list who's not willing to throw money at you. And it was just this huge revelation. Now we still had to find, I still had to find the people who were willing to do that. But when we did, the the shifts and the the value add and the money, the literal money coming in was leaps and bounds over what I had before. And I was like, wow, you mean it takes me the same effort and time to close a $5,000, $7,500, contract as a $35 an hour contract? Like, that's a no brainer. <laughs> that was, that was it for me. And in fact, the first contract that I signed after um, I started working with her was for $7,500. And it, I mean, it paid for my coaching um, and it, you know, did a lot of other things. And, um, but I'll, I'll just never forget because I said, oh my gosh, like I'm about to do it. Like I need this. And, 
and I was just emailing her and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm afraid to send it out, just send it. <laughs> and I needed my coach to tell me that. I needed someone to say, send it. And, you know, looking back, um, if I had sent, if I had done that contract for what I really wanted to send the invoice for, it probably would have been half, but the work would have been the same. I, I deserved every bit of that $7,500 yeah. for that, for that work. And, and from there, it just, um, it just, it just snowballed. And we started to really understand where my value came in and, and what that looked like. Um, and then the pricing, the the coaching on pricing that she gave me is something that I am still known for for this day. So I'm like the pricing queen. I'm more likely to be quoted on pricing than anything else. And when I work with uh, VAs on their pricing, they'll often ask me like, oh my gosh, like how did you get so good at this? And I tell them, I said, when you're as awful as I was in the beginning and you learn something, you can't unlearn it. Like you can't unlearn it. So uh, I said, you take, sometimes it takes the, the biggest loser to become the authority uh, on the subject for sure. Yeah, and, and it also takes someone to see something in us and our value that we maybe just overlooked, right? We didn't see, we didn't see it in ourselves, right? And that, and that happens so often. Someone's like, man, like, why, this should be double. What are you doing? And you're like, yeah, I would have never charged. What do you mean double? Like, you know, and, yeah. and then you start to think about it and you're like, okay, well, might as well give it a shot. I mean, what's the worst they're going to say, right? Is, yeah. Is, well, you're still I giving mean, them the same work that you were going to give them before. Right? Yeah. And in my mind, I was ready. I'm like, okay, well, if I don't get this contract, you know, like we're not re-epping here because clearly like, <laughs> I mean, this is like my thought process. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just like gonna, I'm gonna blame you if this doesn't work because you're telling me to do it. But I just can't imagine if I didn't, I mean, first off, I would have never had, you know, the real idea of how to approach that client and really understand and say what I would be able to do for them and the value with, with confidence. Um, but two, like I, I just would have never sent that email unless she just said, send it. It's like when your coach tells you, go run that lap. Yeah. Fine. Like I wasn't happy, yeah. you know, throw up my hands, but I did it. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm glad I did. It was, it was a huge difference. Yeah. Because that, that showed you right there. That's like, that should be now your bottom level, right? Like yeah. that should, that's the bottom now. Okay. Now what if it, what if it could be 10 K? What if it could be 20 K? Right. That's and then, right. So now the possibility, especially with somebody like you, that's already creative. Now, now you're going back to the drawing board and you're trying to build out, you know, different offers, right. Trying to increase mm -hmm. those offers. So I love that. And so, um, what are some things that, uh, you think have helped, uh, your business grow? And, and when I ask that, I mean, from like a, strategy perspective you know I, I we connected i think i think on linkedin right so that's where we met so i do see that you're active on that platform yes. are there other platforms that you have um you know systems in place for where you're creating content to uh, build your build your brand and your network and how important is that to you and your business so i tell people content is not just king content is your legacy and so when I first started on LinkedIn, I remember when I published my first blog and I was so nervous. I, I was so nervous. I, I was just shaking. I thought for sure I was gonna, you know, get people saying, you don't know what you're talking about, this, that, the other thing. And the blogs just started taking off. And I started getting a lot more responses. I started getting more clients. It was just incredible. 
And from there, I decided to write my own book. And so I wrote a book, Hire the Right Virtual Assistant, and it took off. And then that launched my career of working with VAs. It, the book is written entirely for clients. It's not written for virtual assistants, yet I had virtual assistants reaching out to me constantly and saying, this book is on my shelf. I use it in my business all the time. How are you doing this? I mean, I just had all these questions. And when you people are asking you the same questions over and over and over again, you're like, okay, well, maybe this is, maybe I should take note of this. Because in the beginning, I was taking all these calls and I just thought, wow, I thought I was the only one who struggled. I thought I was the only one. Everything I read, everyone was making six figures in like six months. And here I was just struggling to death. And then after I realized that <laughs> I wasn't the only one going through it or had gone through it, then I realized, okay, I'm, I'm answering the same question over and over again. And anytime you're answering the same question over over again, you need to uh, systemize it. You need to create content around it. You need to be helpful, find, you know, give your audience value, um, have a way to distribute it to the masses. And so that's what I did. Uh, I formalized it. I created an online course. I created a virtual summit. Um, and then I wrote my second book, Become a Successful Virtual Assistant, based on all the formal feedback and the actual consultations and the talks that I was having where I was keeping track of all the questions, the most asked questions, the most common uh, rebuttals, things like that. And when, in, and through all this, I'd always known in the beginning, because I had asked them and then I started meeting clients, the number one question that VAs have is, where do I find my clients? And yet the number one question clients have is, where do I find the right VA? And I'm like, how can two people, two entities who want to meet each other so badly not come together? And while there's other sites out there, they weren't doing it. There weren't sites that I was going to be on. Um, they weren't sites that I thought were a win-win for, for both parties. So I had it in my mind that, okay, I am going to create my own I'm going to create my own place. I'm going to create my own platform. But I had no idea how to do that. So it just was this, just this wish on my wall. And uh, I wrote, I read a damn pink book. And he said, you know, send a failure letter to yourself, a rejection letter to yourself. And explain some details out in that. And I still have it on my wall. It's dated 3-14-16. And um, I just kept on going. So in 2015, my book was released. In 2017, my second book was released. I was traveling the world at that time. And then in 2018, uh, I came back to the States. Uh, my book had just officially launched and then I started working for a startup. Um, and I got sidetracked a little bit, but I, I still very grateful for that time because I needed that. I was purposely wanting to work at a startup to learn all the things that I didn't know. And when I left there, I still have really great contacts with them, but I was frustrated because I felt like now is the time. Now is the time to start this marketplace, do this thing, but I don't have any technical background. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I reached out to my network and I just asked for help really. And ex you know, express my frustration because I felt the timing was right. And one of the women in the group came and she said, Let, let's chat. So we spoke and she said, what's stopping you from creating association? And I thought, huh, nothing. And so I said, okay, let's do that. So that was November, 2018, December, 2018. I sent out this 
really one sentence email to my following. I said, who wants to change the virtual assistant industry with me? I had some responses and uh, the uh, ABA was formed in officially January, 2019. And we launched for founding membership in March, 2019. And um, yeah, now we're going with that. And it just seems so, it seems so crazy. And my partners, a lot of people think it's crazy. We, I've never met my partners. I've known them for years online. We form relationships, but you know that's what that's what business is is really all about. And uh, sometimes one of my partners she'll she'll say something, and I'll have a follow up question about how her day's going or how she's feeling, and she said, "How can you tell that just by the way by the way I said hello?" <laughs> and I said, "Because it's my job. I we're we're remote. Like I I have to know the." the nuances yeah. of everything that you all do and look for the patterns and notice when things are off because it's my job to make sure that I'm leading you properly, that I'm giving you the space that you need, that I am providing a place for you to thrive and not overwhelm you or burn you out or anything else because it's not always, it's not always easy, but it's the challenge uh, that we love. Wow. So. I'm gonna remind the audience again. So, so for one, this is why you're on the show. You are a trailblazer. You have blazed your own trail many times over. But I'm gonna remind the audience that she was voted least likely to graduate. Now has three high school graduate, you know, diplomas, certifications, a GED. She ends up going and working at the University of Georgia for the dean's office in education. Decides to start a business that wasn't successful. Hires a coach. And then as that business starts to, to scale, she wants to go learn about other businesses. So joins a startup to learn information she didn't have. And then somebody planted a seed for her to start an association. So now you have founded an association. I mean, yeah. what, a, what an incredible journey. And um, I think a lot of this comes back to, you know, how that middle child thing, right? And, you know, wanting to always be your best and fight. And then your parents, putting that positivity in you to, to be your best and challenging you all of those things i think of course and you've done a lot of this work with with i'm, I'm gonna say the help of some great partners and, Absolutely. and along the way but i mean kudos kudos to you for not giving up and for being i'm gonna give you uh you're the queen of pivot right i don't know if anyone's ever said that to you but like i mean you start this virtual assistant association a year before a pandemic hits where the world needs you like i mean how incredible is that that you know it but people that was absolutely planned so one of the best books i've ever read is the ceo next door and this is oh, not I'm a book sorry and i forgot to say she's a, a two-time author like you know <laughs> during during all this two-time author as well so so that's not a book I would have picked out for myself because I, when I think of CEO, I think of corporate America and things like that. And nothing against corporate America, but that's not a place where I chose to work because I never wanted to be anonymous. And I thought, what am I going to have in common with anyone in this book? But it was part of a book club that I was in. So I read it and it is one of the most powerful books that I have ever read. And in it, they clearly listed the two jobs of a CEO, no matter what company you have, no matter how big your company is, if you are a company of one. And that is to hire the right people and future-proof your business. That's it. Those are your two jobs as the CEO. And so 
I've al I, I take my own medicine. I've always had a virtual assistant. Um, I hire them all the time. I'm constantly hiring people. You'll never find me wasting time trying to figure out how to do something that I don't know how to do unless that has to do with leadership or culture or, or something like that. But watching a YouTube video to learn some technical problem, no way, zero chance. Um, and the future proofing your business. So when I was traveling the world, one of the things that I learned from the coach is you've got to follow the money trail. And when I was traveling the world and everyone was saying, wow, you mean you really never go into an office? And I said, no, I really never go into an office. And then people started seeking me out for remote work consulting. Well, you just have to start looking for things and, you know, have the time to do that, which I did have the time to do that. And I realized that remote working, whether people wanted it, didn't want it, against it, favored it, whatever their feelings were, it was the way of the future because real estate is so expensive. Forget talent. Real estate is so incredibly massive. So I thought I have to start now starting to write content, starting to show up in the remote working industry so that people know who to call on when they need assistance. And I can't let other people just assume that virtual assistant hiring, matchmaking association, that that goes together with remote working. I have to create a separate entity for that. So I did, and again, started writing articles, started um, being in, in magazines and podcasts and, and other things for it. And you better believe me when the pandemic hit, like my inbox was full uh, and there was a lot of things going on but that was how another way that I was going to make sure I was going to future proof my business. And then now here we are, could have never planned this. In yeah. fact, many assistants in the industry didn't want to hear from me. So I stopped being on panels and I stopped doing things with executive assistants because they didn't want to hear what I had to say. They took like not being in the office as something against them and something that could never happen. And I'm like, absolutely not. It has nothing to do with your value. But, you know, if Pinterest is going to sell their or break out of their San Francisco lease for like 90 something million dollars and they're still saving money, this is, that's the money trail. We don't even know how people really feel about it, but we know where the money saving is. And that's something that a board, a company, the CFO, no one can deny it. So that's where I put my foothold. Oh, 100%. I mean, just, just think about the travel savings for organizations in 2020 alone, mm -hmm. right? Like that, that cost savings. And you think about the, the money that's been literally thrown into the fire of the, this last seven months of leases that people have been paying when nobody's been there. I mean, the, yeah, the writing is definitely on the wall. And, and I mean, to, to have the business for such a time as this and to be essentially the marketplace for it. I mean, what a, uh, what a tremendous, uh, situation that you created. Like you've been working on this your, for your entire life, essentially. You know, this is, this is your life's work, really. Yeah. And, it, and again, it goes back to, you know, there was plenty of people who said that it will never work. There was plenty of people who told me that uh, it could never happen in their industry, that it didn't apply to them, that this is, you know, I, I mean, I've heard it all. And in fact, one of the strongest things that I heard from someone was like a, really a personal attack. He told me I was the most forgettable person he's ever met. Um, and, you know, you just, 
you just have to say, you know, those aren't just my people then. Those aren't my people. Yeah. Let me go and find, let me go and find my own people. And, you know, if you listen to what they're saying, sometimes I take the good and the bad. I filter I'm like, okay, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. That's a good question. I don't have an answer to that. Let me find the answer. I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this. That's possibly a good, I, I should probably address that, you know, but everything, all the garbage, all the junk, all the like, whatever, that stuff just gets thrown in the trash. And I just focus on what is actually a good question for someone who is my person. How would I answer that question if they were my person? And, and that's how I know if it's a good question or not. Love it. Love it. Well, this has been uh, amazing learning about your story and your tenacity and your journey and your pivoting. And, um, you know, I know we, like we said, we connected on LinkedIn. So I know that you're active there. Are there other platforms that you would uh, like to share with the audience for them to reach out if they've got any questions about, you know, virtual assistant, remote working? I know that you are well versed in both of those areas. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you want to chat with me on LinkedIn, feel free. You'll see that I'm on Twitter and Facebook, um, Instagram as, as well. Uh, I'll respond there, but not a, as quickly. You can reach out to me via email, um, or you can visit uh, melissasmith.io. You can visit associationofvas.com, uh, thepva.com. Uh, part of what I do is make sure that I have enough time and space to respond to every email that uh, I, I receive because that's part of my value. Uh, so if you reach out to me, you can 100% be sure that I'll be responding. Um, and it really goes back to, you know, how you feel comfortable if you want to reach out to me directly or on a platform that you desire. It's all good. Awesome. Well, hey, again, I appreciate you sharing how you have blazed your own trail. And, and I know you're you're not stopping here. I know we're probably going to hear another two or three books from you and uh, maybe another couple associations that, that you end up starting. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jordan.